I have felt more differently in this past week than maybe any other in, in at least a very, very long time. I've felt an entire shift in the way that I'm looking at everyone and everything. And it's bizarre. I think I'm acting with a lot more love and a lot more sincerity. And I think I'm spending moments precisely in those moments. And I'm not thinking too much into the future or in the past. And I'm actually living in now. I actually think I've been doing that. And um, it's been nice. It's been nice to really know someone when you're looking at them and talking to them. Because it's become so abundantly clear to me the like infinite amount of layers that we have when talking to different people in different social situations, different relationships, different feelings for those people and how that affects how we act. And it always asks the question if there is like you, if there's like an innate you that that should be in all of those situations or if it is just a consistent revolving door of different different vocabulary different um different intensities with which you talk and of course it's going to differ considering like authority and if you talk to your parents or the closeness to a friend but i do think there's a baseline that i've been trying to meet where it's just kindness um and interestingly enough, I, like with my friends and I, we joke very rudely, like say things like, I hate you. <laughs> but I think that there's a, an, a web of complex kindness in there. Like you're, you're both so, you're both comfortable enough to, to say really awful things <laughs> to one another as if to say something else. And I think that's, <laughs> it's really weird. Um. I've just been trying to really look at my emotions and and understand them. Anger's been actually non-existent. Uh, I don't I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I'll stop rambling, but um, with Valentine's actually I won't stop rambling. With Valentine's Day just passing, I was thinking about love, of course, and um, I've really been thinking about how people perceive it and how much of it is socially constructed. And what it means to love someone, what it means to actually love someone, and when you're loving someone in pursuit of security or pursuit of um, safety, it's, I don't know, I think, I think it's an interesting way to look at it as maybe not love, because if you're, if you're in a relationship because you're trying to find uh, betterment in yourself first and foremost, then you're not thinking of the person. And it's weird to say because obviously the reason we communicate with others is to go on and to feel better about ourselves and in turn make others feel better. But I think there's a lot of selfishness in love that people don't necessarily see. And I think it's rare that you see someone loving another only for the sake of loving them. Because even when you say I love you, you're expecting a response maybe or you're expecting a feeling of reciprocity that makes having said that worth it and of course i don't know because people are so so complex but that's just what's been on my mind because a day of commercialism and 
you know, not forcing people to love, but just a reminder of it. You see a lot of it, and it's interesting how people display display how they feel about one another. And overall, it's just nice. It's very interesting and nice to see others loving and to see others with with one another. So yeah, love is good. Love is real in some way. That's for sure. My guest today, I, I'm going to have a tough, tough time pronouncing this, is Yorgos Mavros... Okay, hold on. I can... Okay. Yorgos Mavrosaridis? Yorgos Mavrosaridis, I believe. He's Greek. And I feel I did that a great injustice. Yorgos, I'm very sorry. But Yorgos is an editor of film who's worked with another director named Yorgos Lanthimos, who's done movies such as The Lobster, uh, Dog Tooth, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, and most recently The Favorite with Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz in it. And I'm in consistent, pleasant surprise with the people that I get to speak to because they're all so nice. And Yorgos was so kind to me. And the, the, the experience of getting to hear what it's like to actually edit a real film and, and about, about working with someone else and the process of creativity, especially in an industry that I plan to go into that's so scary, it's insurmountable how much I appreciate it. And it's so easy. It's so easy to just talk. But yeah, I, I'm amazed that I got to speak with him. It was such it was such an awesome experience. And the and the favorite is really masterfully made. I mean, that's all I can really say. It's so good. It's so, so wonderful. And to be a part of that in any way, just by speaking to someone who worked on it, is something that I'm very thankful for. And I hope you enjoy it too. I hope you love people... Um, not because of holidays coming up soon and just for the sake of loving them. And I hope that things are well with everyone who's listening, if you are. Here's my conversation with Yorgos Mavros... Yorgos Mavroserides. That's that's the best I got. Here's my conversation with Yorgos Mavroserides. How did like? How does a movie start to come together like The Favorite? Like I know you guys have worked together in the past, so that's why I'm curious because it's not like when you're just randomly assigned to it. Are you consistently working together on things like that, and it's like a given yes. that you'll be? Well, on the particular one, I wasn't supposed to start. I mean, I didn't start it because we production started, shooting started on March 17, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, by that time, we still I still had to work on the post-production for the killing of the sacred deer. Right. So while the shooting is done, an assembly editor works, you know, together with the, in the same days. And I came to the project presented with an assembly around July. So then I reconstructed the rough cuts following the script order, mm-hmm. released by September, with music and everything. And then we've started uh, playing around with the construction of the thing, with putting new ideas to the end. I don't know if you have seen it, if you watched yes, it. Yes, I have. So there it's incredible. Of, uh, there was a lot of editing work in the sense of 
constructing again a new the field from from the beginning meaning mm -hmm. uh, trying to implement Yorgos's ideas about what he wanted this film to say apart from supporting the plot which was straightforward in a sense you know Abigail goes to the palace it's a kind of uh, all about Eve situation if you've seen this la the last uh, black and white before the war film which is a mm -hmm. game between people so it was the same idea but placed on Queen Anne's uh, court and uh, was and the films we've done before of course they tend to have a different, like the language uh, Yorgos likes to use, the way he likes to construct his story, already gives a different meaning or, let's say, his interpretation of a plot line which mm -hmm. surpasses this plot line, the simple plot line, and tries to give insights about characters, about motivations, about the ambiguity of people, about the meaning of love or death about how somebody who watches the movies experiences this situation. Uh, we don't like to use uh, continuity editing, which has certain fixed rules to, mm -hmm. you know, to identify the, character, the viewer with a certain character, the hero situation. Right. So our aim was to break this, uh, like obviously the hero in this Film is Abigail, and here and the she goes there to the palace, finds a situation that is there, and then by her presence, she breaks that situation and trying to to evolve. So um, from the beginning, we like we wanted to make all three women equal in a sense. That's uh, and I think we have succeeded because from what I see from from, from how people and critics receive the film. Uh, they do tend to talk about three protagonists and not one. Yeah, so that I was feel that. Our, that was one of our aims in, in reconstructing this, uh, uh, this period drama. I can give you a very simple example from the beginning. Obviously, the script, a written script, starts with uh, Abigail traveling and coming to the palace. We changed this scene and we, yeah. Put, yeah, we, put, we started... The switch with a scene with when Anne and Sarah discuss about not the meaning of love or, or they discuss about how they each understand love, what is love, and then cut the favorite. So it does, of course, we change the rules, but we must keep certain rules, say in, in, that, in the sense that, you know, when a, uh, somebody goes to, the, to a movie knowing nothing, from the first scenes he understands what is the theme, the main theme of, of, of the movie he's watching and he, he's waiting for, for its development. Mm -hmm. Other scenes we changed, Yorgos always shoots, and this is correct, of course, uh, keeping the time and space continuum while he shoots it because it's obviously better for the actor. He needs to express himself through the whole scene. It's not... You know, we don't shoot one take and then go to the other location. It's 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 continuous. So of course, but this continuity right. of time, the classic continuity of time and space, we tend to break using a lot of montage sequences, trying to make the narrative, the way of the narration, most the telling of the tale, somehow not interesting but 
proposing a different interpretation than the, the, the linear script or the surface of the script. I can give you another example. For example, the first sequence, montage sequence we use is a, a turning point as well. Ten, how do you call this? It's a turning plot point when Abigail accidentally, not accidentally, she becomes a servant and then uh, she has to help heal the queen's wounds. So she finds an opportunity there to go out in the woods and get some uh, herbs to help the queen and herself, of course. And if you presented this in a linear way, of course, you would have to follow the other great uh, weapon, let's say, or the great thing of uh, the classical narration, which is uh, effect and cause and effect. Cause and, it's, it's a chain of cause and effect. All, all the scenes in the classical narration are chained one you know, one becomes the cause of the effect and then the other. So the obvious cause there was, okay, Abigail wants to, to become the new favorite. So she plans this thing. So the normal time continuum would be night. She goes to the, to the queen. When again, she goes after, after this scene finishes, we would see here with all the other maids and she had this scene taken out in bandits and thinking about it. Next morning, she goes to the woods, takes the herbs, also meets Massam there, returns to the palace and goes to the queen's uh, room to apply it. So the way we did it, because we wanted to break this chain of cause and effect and at the time continuum, we started intercutting between, you know, when she goes there, we cut while the conversation, the, the, the unity of, of, of time at this moment is the, the queen's recital of how she met with Sarah. So we hear the voice, so we have a present, which is the voice connecting all these strains, you know, back and forth. But the picture shows, jumps from night to morning, Abigail going to the woods, comes back to see a close-up of the queen, goes back again, sees that, and, you know, it's all this intermixing with the aim to break this easily comprehensive uh, uh, comprehensible idea of a scheming person, of a plotting person to achieve something, which which makes the narration uh, anchored in usual things. Also, Langmos from the beginning wanted to express by this the ambiguity of the characters, the ambiguity of people. People are complex beings, and he wanted to have this complexity and ambiguity in all of them. So he didn't want a one-sided character. Okay, right, this right. is ambiguity. That's what she is, and that's what she, that's why she does it. No, because you, you see her playing at, at the present, you see her behaving normally, and also as an idea, it was better for Latmos to, for us to have this revelation of in, in fullness in a, in a in a different part of the of the film. It's like somehow like music that develops slowly and has this grand moment of. Um, presentation of the, of the character, which happens when uh, Abigail puts poison on Sarah's tea, somewhere in the middle of the film. So all the other thing makes you maybe wonder what is that, or make, makes you see, looking for motives, uh, makes you see more more depth depth in the character. Oh, that's, for for that's sure. That's that's definitely the experience I had because when I'm watching a film, it's it's very very often that you can assume what's going to happen next not only in editing but in character development and like you said about being multiple pro and antagonists 
-hmm. like there reaches a certain point in the film where you don't really know who to root for. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was very, very special because it, it doesn't have the typical feel of Abigail. Like Abigail doesn't come into the palace intending immediately to like dethrone, you know, and you see it develop. And whereas if it was told in a more traditional way, it would have been, she comes in with this air already wanting to like make a difference. But it's like the back and forth relationship and then the intimacy that Abigail sees between the queen and Sarah. And um, I just, I really appreciate it. I, and I watched the lobster today actually again. And I, I found very similar. Like I, I watched the lobster today for the first time since having seen the favorite again. And the, the editing is really, really similar in terms of like something will happen and then it'll show what happened right before that. And it's just like it's exciting. It keeps the it keeps the film like fresh because you're not, especially because like the characters in the lobster are not like super over emotional. They don't like act super strongly because of the strangeness of the whole situation, especially Colin Farrell. So when you when you show the multiple like the events switching like, like that, it it does add depth to the character just by showing like how it happened. I'm glad yeah. you appreciate that. Yes. Yeah, of course. Um, I have so many questions because. I just want to know, like, how does the actual editing process, like, like, I know it's probably different for each production, but is, is Yorgos working with you, like, very closely, or does he kind of just give you a little bit of freedom? And also, I'm curious how, like, like, how music plays a part, how, um, mm -hmm. like, sound, how sound plays a part, like, do you have all the sound, everything, when you go to edit? You don't have to request anything or anything like that? Exactly. We have developed this uh, this technique of, of this process over, over the many years we work, but it's basically the same that we had in, in Greece when we made our first films, very low-budget films. Like, for example, our first uh, collaboration in Kineta was done on a budget of 20,000 euros only, and it, mm -hmm. it involved a lot of improvisation. It was not... Like a, a script was 16 pages long, described the actors. <laughs> wow. that. So there was a lot of improvising during the, the shooting. And when we put the, um, the assembly together, there was a film about four hours long. So actually, we had to take a whole film out of that wow. film to, to make it that long. Then, in uh, another example, and I continue to understand the process in, in Doctor, when they started shooting, I had the script, of course, but one day before they started shooting, he, he sends me the the new draft, which was basically the, basically the same, but with all the scenes mixed. Okay, so now we start with 36, then we go to 48. So as if he was trying to tell me, we don't follow the script for what it is, but we follow scenes which, you know, maybe we have to throw some out, but they say the same thing, but we have to find different connections between them. Aesthetic connections, so uh, subconscious feeling, different kind of um, approach to make exactly this, because uh, a film is uh, played on the fourth dimension all the time. It's not like a script, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like music. You have to experience it. So that's how, what I, I need to do while I watch, uh, while I do the edit. I have to experience what an imaginary viewer would go through and what Lanthimos' idea would be. As for the question of uh, how we work, yes, Latimos likes to see me. In, he doesn't tell me anything about his intentions, of course, because all his intentions are in the decoupage, the way he shoots it. 
Mm-hmm. But this is of course not uh, a monolithic approach. Uh, his decoupage presents a lot of possibilities. So uh, the first thing he he wants me to do is to interpret what I see my way. So he comes, uh, he doesn't want to see it while it's constructed. He doesn't want to see a scene constructed. He wants me to finish a complete rough cut. That usually happens if I start during the shoot and it happens about two or three weeks after the, the, the finished product. And then, of course, it's, it's, a, it's a nightmare because I, I have to follow the script order somehow in, in that stage. And of course, he hates it because that's not <laughs> what he, we would do in the end. But this is, this is a necessary procedure because I have to start on this level interpreting in the beginning only scenes which allow me to know the material a lot and know exactly the possibilities. So when we sit together, and of course, music and sound plays a very important role. And we cannot, uh, like for example, in the in the killing of the sacred deer, this uh, accordion by Sofia Gubaidulina was already I I could hear it in the takes. He used it on on shooting. Oh, really? Impression of yes, it gave me an impression of the atmosphere we want to create. I didn't so know that. Was, That's really interesting. It's specific because you know this kind of music tells you, okay, we're doing this uh, horror, let's say, film, but without the, the, the generous, the generous uh, obligations. It, it, yeah. you know, it has to be yeah. there like an ancient tragedy, like things happen because they're faithful and we, we cannot control it. And that happens also in the favorite because Abigail doesn't control her fate. She wants something, but in the end, uh, that's what we try to, to achieve. All, all these three persons understand that they were... You know how do you call this? Uh, merely uh, some aspects of a grander scheme, and uh, the, the only important thing is when they both, uh, all of them, three of them, realize consciously that, that all this game was maybe for nothing or for for no purpose, and they lost a lot of time doing that. But they were under. So that's how you know we slowly proceed. We have certain let's say, philosophical connection, existential connection, the way he, he, he wants his actors to act. Of course, he acknowledges that actors, humans are acting, but behind that, they have an existential basis, which is their presences, beings, mm-hmm. needs, like you see Queen Anne, of course, is a queen, but basically you see a human being having certain needs. And you, of course, you see Sarah... Uh, as uh, you know, as uh, very consciously trying to to be patriotic and uh, you know go to war with friends, but then uh, towards the end of the film, you see how she breaks and she becomes a vulnerable person as well. You see Abigail trying to do that, and when she achieves, there comes the moment in the end that it means it says that okay, so is that what I wanted? You know, is that uh, what what I aimed for? And also, I do because I know yours as well. I do understand that this is his own personal feeling he wants to put there because it's a moment in his life and he's somehow successful, of course. And I do feel it now that I, <laughs> that I came to LA that what is this all about? <laughs> because it's so strange. But yes, it's a situation that must affect us also personally as, as it was with Kineta, as, as it was with Doctor as it was with all his films. It has to be something that, because he's 
spends a lot of time and energy in, in doing that, and it must mean something to him. Also, he has, and I admire him for that, he has the creative control. He has the final cut, and that leaves me with a lot of space to experiment. I don't believe all these edits that you saw in the favorite or in Lobs that would be able we would be able to do if the film was, you know, a studio production as they right. usually are with certain needs that need to satisfy a lot of people. So that's why he can try things. He can uh, take risks in his edits or in the presentation of his films. And it wasn't like from the beginning we were successful, successful in what we were doing. I remember in Kineta, not, not many people liked it. When we did Dogtooth, especially in Greece, everybody hated us, but it's these things we did. It was mainly the uh, award we got from uh, in certain regard that uh, started these things. And after that, yes, he got the, uh, he, he, he tries to, he always has the, you know, the, the final cut and also the, the controls all the aspects of production and definitely, which is very difficult, of course, to do because you need to find the right people. But in Greece, when we did these commercials together, we did the film, we did have time. So the musician was there with us. You know, we didn't have to finish the film and then deliver it. We didn't have to finish the film to deliver it to the sound guy. We wanted to incorporate all the sound elements to watch the film properly, and that's what we do with these productions. Although they are much, you know, the budget is different, but yes, he has found, like, you know, he has certain collaborators that understand this. And for the sound, for example, we have Johnny Byrne, which is a very good uh, product uh, sound designer, but you know, he does this for us he, because he he has a studio in London that works with commercials and all these things, and he because he likes it. He gives us all his time and all his, the studio's time to experiment with the sound on the stage of the sound. Because, for example, that scene in in, uh, in the favorite when we the Queen and Abigail dance and we yeah. start using sounds, so it affects the edit. It cannot be otherwise. I have to have the idea. I have to edit this scene using some basic. Uh, sounds as an idea, but then it has to be done properly from the sound designer, come back to me and me to correct again certain things according to the sound, so they right. go together. And the same is with the music. The music was there from the beginning. Of course, there is a, a whole palette of, uh, of, of music we can use, but the, the period, the classical, is there, but it's also Anne Meredith, some uh, pizzicato things, a Scottish writer, a composer, and also from Yanni Christou, a very monotonous music that, uh, you know, repeats a couple of uh, notes all the time. They were there from the beginning, many more there, but, you know, we try and we say, okay, this is better, let's try this one, but it's always with music that we work, yes. Right, okay. Would you say that this relationship is unique, like having a director that you work with consistently and you have this sort of intimacy, like compared to bigger, perhaps, like productions, like do you think that's a unique relationship? This is what I'm thinking, but I haven't been in big productions, but I do start to feel that since now I'm here and I received also the AC Awards and I have all this interest from agents and stuff. Congratulations, I'm, by the way. Thank you very much. Absolute thank congratulations. Uh, I'm surprised that, you know, I, they want me to meet producers. 
for me, this is very strange because my mm -hmm. relation is a personal relation with the director. And I'm not sure I can find it in the system. Yorgos has managed to do it even in these productions. I work with many people in Europe, but my basic need is that to have an understanding from, from the director and to try to understand his vision and work with him because this is the guy I'm going to be with for six months. And, you know, our, our cinema in Athens, in Greece, was personal. It was the expression of some director's or one of theirs idea of, of movies. So that's what I know. I don't know how the other thing works, and I'm not sure I would be a good editor try to make a genre. I don't think I would, I would do it. Yes. Hmm. So can you tell me quickly your sort of path into being an editor? Considering well, school or anything that you yes. like? When I graduated from the high school in Athens, I wanted to become involved in, uh, in, uh, in the theater. I studied drama. Uh, from the first year of my studies in the drama school, I decided that it would not be a profession for me to become an actor, but the, the, the education I received during this, these three years in the drama school was very important, so I didn't uh, abandon it. I had a very special teacher that, you know, he's, he was a teacher for life for me, the way he mm -hmm. insisted on the truth, to find the truth inside you don't, and don't stay on the surface of things. Then, because of course I wanted to, to follow a profession, I left, I went to London uh, without having any, you know, means to support myself or to, without a specific aim. And mm -hmm. I went to London uh, Film School. John Fletcher was di the director at the time. He was very kind to receive me because I hadn't done in a, any film, I hadn't done any script. He just asked me, what's your occupation? I mean, why do you want to become a filmmaker? And I, the, the only thing was just to support myself during the drama uh, school. I worked in the Moviola as an assistant editor. So I said, oh. you know, um, you know, I can do that. And he says, come on, show me how, what you can do. I went and I played with him of your life. He says, okay, go and uh, see a film and write me what you think about it. And I remember I, had, I went to see Dog Day Afternoon and I wrote a page and he said, okay, I accept you. So I studied in, uh, in London for two years and I, in the commercial, the newly developed commercial industry in Greece. I worked with another generation of filmmakers, which is, this is what they taught me to you know, some kind of per cinema, there was no industry. We did, we did commercials to, to support ourselves while doing a feature film, which had to do with the director and his dreams. And that was, that was not, you know, it was not an industry. And then uh, I met Lanthimos. We have a difference. And, and he started his first film. This is the way we walk. Like, okay, we do commercials to, go by, you know, to live and support our families mm -hmm. and between our need to, for us to express our creative, uh, you know, freedom in, in this, in this game. And that's the way we work up to now. Wow. <laughs> I'm just, I'm currently in school for film. And so I'm just a little, like, I'm so curious about how to even start, you know, because that's the thing we have to find a way to support yourself for mm -hmm. for the it's not so difficult you can find job but for right. the director it's much right. more difficult of course and, mm -hmm. uh, 
But you know, he was also uh, had needed to support himself, so he did a lot of commercials. But he was right. clever to to try even in commercials. But that was a time which that, that allowed us to do that. For example, you know, Greece was late, later developed as a, now you cannot do it easily in Greece. It's it's, right. it's again it's a different thing. But at that time, it was much easier to do commercials and use the experience you get from the commercials. You know, shooting. For 50 days a year, it's it's a very big experience, and you can experiment with your means, you know, how your camera and your mm-hmm. your actors and the movement and everything. So and use this when when your time comes to your your things. I mean, right. that's the only that's the only thing I can find. Or, or find similar friends like you with the same aspirations and you mm-hmm. know, give your time because you have to. And, right. Uh, that's all I can say. But I remember even, even Stanley Kubrick used the money of his friends and uh, the family to start his own short film mm-hmm. on the films. He yeah, did. I actually just I actually just read about his history. He was like, what did he do? He did like a couple commercials, and then he convinced this guy to let him direct a film, and then he did like a couple more short films, and then he did uh, Fear and Desire, I think. Yeah, which he hate he hated hated so much, <laughs> like wouldn't show it to the public for years, which is crazy. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I don't necessarily know where to go. And I just think it's such an inspiring industry because I feel like as long as you're like working and trying and like being completely honest, especially with work like what you and Yorgos are doing, it's just like, it's just so real. And it's, it's, it's hard to ignore it. It would not be done in a studio situation. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. Yorgos did a lot of uh, video clips before he joined the comic because even joining the commercial business at that time was a bit difficult. But he mm-hmm. came with a lot of video uh, video clips with some of his friends. You know, he some small group wanted. He went and everything. So he did have a sort of uh, small portfolio before he started right. doing his uh, commercials. Right. Well, thank you so much for talking today. I'm so thankful. And I, I wish you the best on the nomination. I wish you all the best for your aspirations as well. And, you know, it's thank a good you so thing. much. Yes, you have to be yourself. That's true.